What we have today uh, is a message that I think will be really important for the new year. Um, for all of us. But before we do that, I wanted to give an update um, on some changes that happened this last year in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, we, um, kind of where I'm at with that. If you don't know, if you're brand new to that, this past May, the CMA, as, as we refer to it, uh, which is the denomination or the, the, the group of churches that this church is a part of um, nationwide and actually around the world. Um, the CMA back in, in uh, May gathered in Spokane around 2,500 leaders from churches around the world to vote on and approve some changes, to, to implement some changes. Um, and the two that I want to highlight before I share kind of my personal update on this is the CMA voted overwhelmingly to uphold male eldership and leadership in the local church. Um, lead pastors are to be men, elders would be to men, to be men. Um, First Timothy chapter three in the Bible, Titus chapter one, you can read. Um, that's where that, that comes from. Um, and the CMA voted, the leaders, the, the, the people in the CMA voted to uphold that. Um, and, and to be clear, not this sort of chauvinistic power structure as it's often seen and maybe at times abused in that way, but men and women serving humbly together by God's design. Um, that is our heart. Uh, but the second change that was approved that I want to highlight is giving more freedom to local churches in how they use specifically the title pastor. Uh, underneath this leadership structure that was overwhelmingly upheld, they said men and women could potentially hold the title pastor in the CMA, depending on the context and the convictions of the local church leaders. Now, like many of you, I've studied these uh, biblical passages for many hours. I've been in a lot of conversations. I've lost track of how many conversations I've had with you uh, as individuals. Uh, I held a two-hour question and answer time a couple months back where I invited the whole church to come, and we just talk about these things. Um, but it's been a couple months, and some of you have asked where we're at and specifically why we've sort of gone silent on the issue. Uh, so I wanted to give you a few updates to address that, starting with the fact that, strictly speaking, we haven't gone silent. Uh, many of you are engaging and interacting over this, getting together and talking about the scriptures on these matters. I have had many conversations, um, and I believe that is a biblical way forward in these kinds of situations. The second point for clarification, which I have made several times, but I think it needs to be repeated, the CMA does not require or even request any changes to be made at the local church level. Uh, MAC has not made any changes since those approved changes, uh, nor do we intend to as the board. I am grateful for the way this church currently, as we have already seen in our time this morning, makes room for men and women to use their gifts so the body can benefit from both. I feel strongly about that, and I think you can see that in our times together. But some of you are concerned about this decision, and I respect that. I also, though, want to clarify something that part of my perceived silence is the fact that I do not believe the CMA is in an unbiblical place currently. I think that's important for you all to know. I'm not sort of hiding out, trying to get up the courage to stand up and speak the truth. The CMA has upheld male leadership in the church while at the same time giving room to use titles that I personally in my study of the scriptures do not see elevated in the way that our modern Christian culture has done so. I think many times tradition fuels our convictions in ways we don't realize. But what about the CMA's direction? The decision's one thing we can say, okay, fine, but where are we headed? Um, 
Meaning, could this lead to an unbiblical place? And my answer is yes. And at that point, we would be ready to respond accordingly. But man, guys, can I just say, I'm so thankful God didn't give me the ability to tell the future. And nowhere in the Bible do I ever see God call us to worry about what could be. Nowhere in the Bible do we see this sort of, I think of it as an American church mindset of what is your two and your five and your 10 year plan. I don't see that. I see a call over and over to walk by the spirit, to, to keep in step with Jesus because this is his church. Now, of course, pastors are required to lead, to give direction and clarity. And I take that very seriously. And for the record, I have a position on these changes. I have shared that position but guys, the reason I have not made this a central issue is because it's not. Amen. I am committed to keeping the gospel at the center. There are people all around us who are desperate for the hope and life of Jesus. That is our primary focus. And I will tell you, I am praying um, about a way to continue this conversation. Theology is what literally got me into my faith with Jesus. Um, I was so captivated, I'd stay up till three in the morning reading the Bible, not because my parents said to, but because I couldn't get enough of it. I love theology. And I want to have the opportunity to continue these conversations. I'm thinking about a, a little video series, even personally zooming in on aspects of the conversation for people to just watch and respond and interact with. This is an important conversation, but is not a primary one. And so I've realized as a pastor, my views don't necessarily represent the whole that's, that's occurred to me many times and sort of this tension between the perspective of the pastor coming down off the mountain with the answer. What's the answer? Where is this church? Well, I don't know. It depends who you talk to. Can I say that? Right? Like, and wouldn't that be easier if I just gave the answer? Because we could just put it back on the shelf and move on. Yeah. God forbid we wrestle. God forbid we disagree and we have to work through that together. God forbid we stay together and don't split up and divide on our views based on one theological point. Guys, it is so tempting for pastors to shape churches into their own image, which is why you have churches with rigid uniformity on specific points of theology where you're literally not allowed to interpret it any other way. It's why you have churches that are known as Republican churches rather than Jesus churches. Yes, I am a pastor. I am called to teach and give leadership and direction boldly. But my vision for this church is that we would be a diverse group of people who are devoted to the authority of God's word, to wrestling in the scriptures together, but ultimately who are known by how well we love each other and the people around us, which is what Jesus prayed for us. So there's the update. And I, and I want to end by just saying I'm still trying to figure all this out, guys. I'm young in my leadership. I'm trying to figure out how to best facilitate these conversations. The, the spectrum between one-on-one -on -one conversations and me giving a sermon, there's a lot of room there for us to explore. And I just want to encourage you as the body of Christ to explore that room. Pray for me, pray for us that we would shepherd these moments well in our church for the sake of God's glory and the growth of his church. Amen. Well, for the rest of our time, as I said, I have uh, some things that I wanted to share related to this new year. Uh, because I said, and we say, what? Happy New Year. I spent some time the last week thinking about what would, it, what would it take to actually 
have a happy new year. Uh, Certainly it is more than just this sort of casual social exchange. What would it take to bear fruit like we've never had? What would it take to get rid of habits and and hangups that we have been plagued by recently? There's a verse in the Old Testament, an expression that shows up at least twice in the Bible that God has been using in my life personally this past year. Um, Those of you who don't know, I was offered a sabbatical actually a year ago. Um, Today, more or less, was my last Sunday before moving into that sabbatical. It was a generous gift from this church uh, to be refreshed after 18 years of full-time ministry in Missoula, um, to rejuvenate, to recalibrate in a lot of ways as a person, as a pastor. And one of the scriptures that God began to use in my heart in that season and actually has like turned up the, the heat <laughs> in the last several weeks for me um, is Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Hosea 10, verse 12 in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it. It'll be up on the screen. But in this uh, verse, God is speaking to his people who have walked away from him, who have stopped following him. And and God says to them, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. There's a lot there. Uh, But I'll start by saying the Jews in this part of the world, still to this day, are an agrarian society, meaning they depend on the ground to produce food. We may not be able to relate to that uh, maybe in our time because we just run down to the supermarket, right? That's what we depend on for food, most of us. But these people understood the power of planting seeds in the ground if the desire was for a harvest, Um, You see, no one at this time would have been sitting around and hoping for righteousness. They wouldn't have been hoping for food and thinking, I really hope God waves his hand over the field and food pops up. They knew they had to get out and work. They had to do something in order for food to come out of the ground. But God comes to them and speaks to them at a time when they'd stopped working. Now, it's important to note Biblically, the ground is often left fallow to replenish the ground, but these people had totally abandoned the land, specific aspects of their lives. And so God uses this metaphor of of the ground to encourage them and us to sow seeds of righteousness and you will reap a harvest of steadfast love and I would add every other thing our hearts so deeply long for. But God says, gosh, before you can even plant seeds in the ground, you need to do what? You need to break that ground up. It's not even going to hold seed in its current state. Break up your fallow ground. Now, fallow isn't like follow the leader, like some British alternate spelling. Um, (laughs) Fallow means um, uncultivated, unattended to, unplowed, ultimately unproductive land. Ground that has been ignored, allowed to harden over time, where other things have maybe grown into the land that should not be there. And Hosea says, this is the time to break up that fallow ground, to seek the Lord. But how, how do we break up the ground? And, and for that matter, let's back up. What is the ground? Yeah, that's the way one translation puts it. It's, it's breaking up the soil of our, of our hearts this last year, I, I put in a fence at our house. 
um, and with the help of a friend, and I thought it would be pretty straightforward, right? Put a fence up. It sounds easy. Uh, and Yeah. Anyway, so and I found a bunch of used material online. It was exactly what I was looking for. Um, I have able-bodied boys to help me. Um, but digging the holes for these wood posts reminded me that I'm not 25. Uh, yeah, blisters and back pain and all that, but I'm pretty stubborn, so I was like, we're doing this, right? But there's this specific stretch of fence in particular where any obstacle you could imagine was there. There were rocks and there were roots and the ground was the hardest ground I've ever pretty much dug in. Um, and I have a picture of, I took a picture of my boys who were helping me on that stretch. That's Aaron and Keenan, and that's, that's that stretch. Um, but I wanted to briefly apply that experience to what I think can also be true of our lives. First of all, I think we have all experienced hardness. The ground can be hard. Our hearts can get compressed, compacted, desensitized by wounds that we've received from people, by prayers that God has not answered or answered the way we wanted him to. Maybe it's the challenges of life pounding and pounding and pounding again and again, and it just hardens us. Maybe, though, it's a lack of attention to the soil, where it just sits and settles and stagnates, resulting in hardness to God's spirit, to the moments when he wants to get our attention, to the moments he wants to use us in the lives of others. I know I've been guilty so many times this last year of hardness in that area. One personal area of hardness I've recently uh, had God point to is hardness to the hurt we've caused. Where once I, I was sensitive, I was responsive, it affected me when I realized how I had affected someone else. And this last year, I found myself a couple of times just blowing it off and just thinking, well, what can you do? That's hardness. That's basically my list from this last year. What about you? Where have you experienced hardness? But let's say we're able to get into the ground, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We break up the ground, we get into the soil. One of the first things we often encounter are rocks. When I was a young boy, I spent a lot of time out in my grandma and grandpa's house in Willow Creek, Montana. And um, my grandpa would give me, uh, several, on, uh, several occasions, would give me $2 a day to pick up as many rocks in his field as I could and fill his trailer. And I would be out there in the blistering sun, and I'm an achiever. All of the skilled gift sets all point to that. I just like to get things done. And so I'm out there doing it, and I'm feeling good. And at the end of the day, this trailer would be full, and I'd go in and get my $2, and I felt like I was rich. Um, now, you could argue that spending time out with my grandparents in Willow Creek and working with my hands in the sun, I was rich. I am rich. But guys, I've never seen so many rocks. I, 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 I would find myself looking for dirt, you know, like is this a quarry or a field? Um, but spiritually speaking, rocks, I think, are those obstacles that keep us from breaking up the ground. They, they keep seed from getting into the soil. They're habits that form over time that stand in the way of steadfast love, of fruitfulness. A couple of my rocks from this past year that God brought to my mind, not getting up as early as I used to, to spend time with the Lord, to cultivate the soil. I've become lazy in that area. 
the habit of pulling out my phone every chance I get, even when I'm using the bathroom. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. But guys, this is the thing. It's this addiction to technology, to always wanting to see if there's something there for us. And it affects us. Those are seeds that are sown. Others of us could identify substances or maybe eating habits that maybe in themselves in moderation are okay, but you'd, if you're honest, you'd say, that's a rock. And friends, if you've ever dug in rocky ground, you know, generally speaking, there's no fast way to deal with the rocks. There's no dynamite option. I mean, even if you did dynamite, you still got to pick out all the rocks. You have to deal with rocks one at a time. You have to be honest about the fact that they're there. And you have to think about, okay, what kind of leverage is required to get this thing out of the dirt? It starts with the honest acknowledgement that we have specific rocks in our lives. The next thing we encounter a lot of times are roots. Things that uh, you try to remove, but you can't find the end of them, right? It's not like a rock where you go, well, it's probably there. It's like, I got this, but then there's this and there's this, and they've spread. The Bible talks a lot about the unproductive root systems in our lives. One example, Hebrews chapter 12 says, see to it, I like this, apply some effort, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, leading many to become defiled. Can, can any of you relate to that sourness toward a group, toward a person? Maybe it was a comment. Maybe it's a disagreement on a theological issue where over time you just quietly turn against each other. And it festers in community. It spreads literally like a root system that you can't control. Another one of those, in addition to bitterness, Paul references 1 Timothy 6. He says, um, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money or whatever it is for you, status, a good retirement, ease, all of these things we crave after have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's the fruit. Probably the most vivid explanation of a harmful root system. And I just want to be clear here, nowhere in the Bible does it say money is the root of all evil. It does not say that. It does not say possessions are evil. Men like Abraham and Job were wealthy men who used their resources for the glory of God. They made great impact through their wealth because they were generous with their wealth. It's not wealth. It's not money. It's not possessions. It's our hearts. It's when we realize that we're going after things more than we're going after Jesus. Where our desire for that amount in the bank account is greater than our desire to know him. That's when roots begin to spread. And Paul says the fruit is sorrow. And, and I love that because it really, we can all say amen to this. Even maybe we wouldn't audibly. It's that insatiable desire that will never be fulfilled. 
There will always be more. If your amount is this, it will soon be this. And so we encounter these root systems that trap and, 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 and stifle growth. But then on top of the ground, we often see a landscape of weeds and different things. And Jesus expounds on this, thorns, if you will. Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower, this guy who goes around scattering seed in different places and Jesus is using this, this agricultural metaphor for our own lives and our responsiveness to God's word. But in verse 22, he says, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word but are all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. Now we just talked about the lure of wealth, but how many can relate to the worries of this life? Every single one of us in our own ways can relate to getting ahead of ourselves and not really believing the Father will provide. Of worrying about what if, what if this happens, what if that happens? Rather than believing that Jesus, what Jesus said, every day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> See, friends, the weed killer, the roundup, if you will, is cultivating peace with Jesus. It's, it's, it's proactively cultivating trust. It's choosing to redirect our thoughts from the headlines on our phone to God's faithfulness over the generations. Amen. It's, it's redirecting our focus away from what could happen in the CMA, for example, back to the one who's perfectly in control and he's building his church and he's got us. Guys, there will always be limited fruitfulness when you allow obstacles to stay in the soil. And I know we know that logically, but, but the other place that this follow ground statement shows up in, Gen in Jeremiah chapter 4, the Lord says to his people, listen to this, break up your fallow ground and do not sow seed among thorns. That is a, I think, a powerful realization for us that we can actually be doing the right things. We can be reading our Bibles. We can be, we can be attending church or even giving money to a good cause but we're not addressing the inhospitable soil of our own lives. We're, we're, we're trying to have these two kingdoms coexist and it won't happen. They'll always fight with each other. He says, don't throw seed among thorns. Deal with the thorns. But how do we do that? How do we experience a truly happy new year? Fruitfulness and freedom from the habits that plague us? Well, the answer is right here in our original verse, thankfully, the second half of Hosea 10, verse 12. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Those are joined. That is step one. We cannot address the fallow ground by ourselves. When I was building that fence, there were several times where my boys said, Dad, help. And isn't that the heart? David models this heart beautifully in many places, but Psalm 139 is one of the best. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Heart, thoughts, it's all under the surface. God, I don't even know what's there. I need you to expose, to dig, to reveal. As he continues to say, see if there be any offensive way in me. It's humility. It's, it's, it's getting before the Lord and saying, God, I want to be fruitful, but I know there's stuff in the way. 
Friends, I know most of us know those verses that I just read. How well do we live them? When's the last time that you prayed like that? Or got on your knees and opened your hands and your hearts and in desperation said, God, help. And at that point, in addition to God, in his spirit empowering us, I think he's also going to remind us of some specific tools he's already given us. You see, God doesn't say in either of these passages, turn to me and I will break up your fallow ground. He says, break up your fallow ground as you seek the Lord, right? Break up your ground, meaning we're not sitting back waiting for a miracle. We are proactively engaged in the means God has provided for us to break up the ground. So back to this fence, I've only ever used a shovel to break up ground and and just about killed myself on multiple occasions. But a friend loaned me this tool um, for the fence, and some of you know what it is. I don't know what it's called. Crowbar or something. It's got a sharp point at the end. It's amazing. It's really heavy. But it has a very specific purpose. Um, and before I talk about that, I just couldn't resist showing this video of, of what it's not for. Do we have this? <laughs> there we are. So, yeah. We got off track a few times on our project. <laughs> But this tool is specifically for breaking up the ground because it is sharp. It's weighty. Hebrews 4 verse 12, which we've already heard this morning. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You get the picture? It gets down into us. And Hannah so well reminded us earlier, it's not just a book, it's Jesus himself, the living word. But guys, we have so many tools God has provided. We're gonna look at a lot of these spiritual practices in the year to come. But some of these include prayer, worship. Man, how many of you experience softening when we're worshiping together? Every single week, God moves in my heart, God softens me every week, if I choose to engage. Generosity, whatever you, amount you have, allowing God to lead you to be generous with that. Community, coming alongside others, serving. These are just a few of the tools God has given us to turn over the soil, to clear out the obstacles, to uproot, and ultimately make room for the seed of his word to land and bear fruit. So as we close, my prayer for this new year, my prayer, first of all, for myself, and then for all of you, is that we would experience a softening, that we'd experience more sensitivity to the hurt we've caused, that we'd experience more receptivity to the Lord in the areas where he wants to lead us into. Ezekiel chapter 9, God tells Ezekiel, and and this relates to the culture that we live in. He says, this is a a bizarre passage. Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who weep and sigh because of the sins committed in the city. And then it goes on to say, get rid of the rest of the people. And I read that, I'm like, that's harsh. (laughs) 
but it reminds us. It is a wake-up call. It's a reminder that God always starts with those who are affected by what's going on around him. Those who are sensitive. And, and for the record, not just by the way the bad things going on in society, but the other end of the spectrum as well. Isaiah 66, God says, These are the ones I will look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Do you see that? We're sensitive and aware of what's happening in our world and it grieves us. Things grieve us that grieve God. But then on the other hand, we're delighting in God's word. And we're responsive and we realize how weighty and beautiful it is. There's a sensitivity to what's wrong, but also a heightened sensitivity to what's right and what's true. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. And so where, friends, have we become desensitized? Do we tremble at God's word? Have habits of our culture bled into the church in a way that behaviors depicted in movies or in TV shows no longer grieve us the way they grieve God? Guys, God says, I will look on those who are humble. That word literally means dirt. Those who are low, who are from the earth, who realize how helpless they are without God. Who say, Lord, I need you to work in my heart. And at the same time saying, I need to exercise the means you've provided for breaking up the ground. But Hosea says, now is the time to seek the Lord. Now is the time, church, to take responsibility. Now is the time to step up in our homes in our personal lives, in our church, to move toward him. And when we do that, Hosea says, he will come and shower righteousness upon us. He will change us in ways we didn't think we could be changed. Solomon in Proverbs 24, the last little story, sort of, he walked past a field of a, quote, lazy person, in his words. The vineyard of one with no common sense. And he says of this, I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like an armed man. Guys, there's no magic shortcut. God promises that as we seek him, as we employ the tools he's provided, he will provide all the power. He will provide the growth. He will cause righteousness to spring up from the ground. And again, this is just the laws of nature. <laughs> Ask any farmer and they'll tell you they don't control the weather. They don't control the growth. But the things that they can control, they take very seriously. And friends, I think we can all admit there's things outside our control. And personally, and maybe many of you can relate, sometimes I just want to feel better. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel discouraged or agitated or selfish. And if we're brutally honest as Americans, I think that's maybe our highest goal at times. I just want to feel good. But I don't know if you've realized this. I certainly have. You can't change the way you feel directly. But can I say this to you? Hear me. You can't change the way you feel, but you can change where you focus. And where you focus over time will affect how you feel. 
God has given us these tools to actually experience the change that we're longing for, if we will employ them. As our worship team comes, that's what I want to do as we close, is direct our focus to him, to allow some space for you to listen to God, to interact with him. And, and maybe, there's a, maybe there's a rock that has sort of emerged in your mind that you realize may be something that's holding back growth. Um, maybe it's a root. Maybe it's, it's bitterness. Maybe there's a person that you, this morning, can go to and say, I am sorry. I have been harboring and feeding bitterness towards you, and it's wrong. And it's corrupting our relationship, and it's corrupting others. Maybe it's hardness, and you are just here today to say, Jesus, I need you to soften me. And maybe the first step is, I, I don't know where that, any of that is. I need you to reveal, Lord, search me, right? Search me, know me, dig, do your work, reveal. And then God, give us the courage to do what you've called us to, to pick up the tool and dig. Jesus, we thank you for your word, how it is living and active, how you are living and active. How you yourself go in and you reveal truth. You reveal what's actually there under the soil. You, you test the, the, the hardness of the soil. Lord, we don't want to look away from the truth. We don't want to deceive ourselves or live in some alternate reality that's just not reality. We want to face the facts of where we're at. But Lord, we thank you that at every point when we turn to you, there is mercy and there is grace for help in our time of need. That there is the, the promise that you come alongside and you are for us at every single point of the journey. Lord, we pray that you would reveal those things in our lives that are holding back growth and that you would then pair up that obstacle with an appropriate tool that you would work powerfully by your spirit through in order to address that obstacle. Lord, we commit this time to you. We commit this new year to you. We pray for fruit like we've never known. We pray for freedom like we've never had.